There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter number 8. You know, we've been doing this But God series, excuse me, Romans chapter number 5. We've been doing this series about the But Gods of the Bible, going through all the places in the Bible uh, where we find the phrase, but God. And we've kind of subtitled it, where God interrupts. And God's always interrupting things in our lives out of His will and out of His plan. Uh, Oftentimes our plans are contrary to His, but God, He interrupts those things. And so when I started this series, one of the probably the most familiar with everybody of the but gods is what will be our primary text today. Romans chapter number 5 and verse 8. You probably can quote it, but let's all stand and read God's Word. Romans chapter number 5 and look at verse... I tell you what, we'll start reading in verse 6. Actually, verse 6. Verse 8 is our target there, but let's start reading at verse 6. Romans 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But look at verse 8. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Look at verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. But God commendeth His love toward us. You can be seated. Let's look at where God interrupts our helpless estate. Where God interrupts our helplessness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And God, we're so thankful that I have a gospel to preach. I I don't have uh, something that maybe someone can uh, embedder their life or, 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 or something that they can pull their bootstraps up and try to do better. But all I've got is a simple message that Jesus died for our sins. Father, I pray for those that may be here without you today and they've never laid hold of that. They've never embraced that for their own. Oh God, we pray that today would be the day that they would come and embrace you wholeheartedly as their Lord and Savior. They'd say that yes, He died for me. I can't work my way to Him. Oh, but He died in my place. Father, we pray for those that are here that have laid hold of that. We pray that you would renew a, 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 a fresh glimpse of that great love for which you showed on Calvary's 
cross for us. Oh, God, get me out of the way. And I pray that you would help me to preach, or that you'd preach through me what you'd have to say in the, the truth of your love. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. You know, you've heard the phrase and probably you've seen the bumper sticker or the t-shirt. and You've heard it, God loves you. You know, we live in a world where a lot of times that's, uh, uh, that people just kind of let that uh, go by and they, they don't really stop and think about it. I'll never forget when I was, I believe it was down in the jail one time, witnessing to a fella trying to bring him to the Lord Jesus. And I said, God loves you. And he said, I know, I know all that. I know God loves me. And people so glibly uh, take the truth of God's love and they minimize it. And unless God comes to us and somehow jolts us into seeing the reality of God's love, we'll glibly do the same thing when it comes to the love of God. I like what Richard Baxter, that 17th century preacher, said when he seemed to jolt us in one of his messages. He wrote this, it is, a small, is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God? To be the son, the spouse, the love, the delight of the king of glory. Christian, believe this and think about it. You will be eternally embraced in the arms of the love which is from everlasting and will extend to everlasting. Of the love which brought the son of God's love from heaven to earth from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, and from the grave to glory. That love which, which w- was weary, hungry, tempted, scorned, scourged, buffeted, spat upon, crucified, and pierced, which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, sweated, bled, and died. That love will eternally embrace you. Oh, as the songwriter wrote, Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. You know, even more amazing than God's love is the object of God's love. That God would set His affections on another than the sinful, rebellious men, women, boys, and girls that populate this globe. Souls that were powerless to enjoy fellowship with God because of our depraved and sinful nature. God set His love on us sinful creatures. But God interrupted our helpless estate. God interrupted our sinful condition. And out of His great love made a way, a path to know Him and experience His love. You see, every one of us are in a helpless, sinful condition. A condition that will ensure a guilty verdict before a holy uh, a God and of His judgment. But this God of judgment is also merciful. And in these verses, I want you to see the greatness of the love of God. But God commendeth His love toward us. The first thing I want you to see is the sight of God's love. You ever heard people say, seeing is believing? Well, here in these verses, we're given a sight 
a picture, a, a, a vision of what God's love is. Well, what do, what do we see when we look at the love of God? Well, in verse 6, we see an unrestricted love. Look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. There seems to be no restrictions to the love of God. No boundaries, no fences in which man must hurdle. No God, uh, no, the, 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 the penman, even the apostle Paul, if there was anybody that could claim to be good, could play, claim to be righteous, I mean, it was the religious upstanding apostle Paul. He called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the top echelon of the religious society of his day. And what did he say? He included himself. When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. The ungodly. He counted himself with the ungodly. Uh, ungodly, that word ungodly indicates completely the opposite of God. Completely. However, He is good and loving and wonderful. We are depraved and sinful and rebellious. Everything good about Him, we are completely the opposite. Yet God in love offered up His Son on the altar of the cross for all of us. It's unrestricted. When we were without strength, when we were without any ability to endear ourselves to the love of God, to find a place of refuge in His presence. We were powerless to do so on our own, yet God sent His Son so that we could know the love of God. An unrestricted love. No restrictions on God's love. And then an, an unrivaled love. An unrivaled love. Look at verse 7. It says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Around, uh, around the everyday life of the president, there is a group of men that follow him around that are called the secret service agents. How many ever saw the secret service agents? They got the little microphone in their wrist and they got their, and they got the dark sunglasses on. They're always watching. They're always looking. These men have committed their lives for the sole purpose of protecting the president, even so far as to throw themselves in the path of an oncoming bullet to save a president, to save this man of prestige, this man of notoriety. But, but you do not see these same men guarding the drunk down uh, outside in the alley, passed out next to the sewer. You don't find Secret Service agents guarding the drunk that's passed out on the road, do you? No, you wouldn't find that. You wouldn't find someone willing to throw themselves before a bullet to protect the drunk on the street. You see, that's what verse 7 is telling us. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. There's hardly anybody that would die in the place of a righteous man. Yet peradventure, even for a good man, some would even dare to die. Like those secret service agents for this good man or this president, they would hurl themselves in front of a bullet. 
But God, when we were yet sinners, God in Christ Jesus, when we were depraved, rebellious, blasphemers that were going 90 miles an hour away from God, yet God sent His Son to die in our stead. He took the bullet of Calvary, the judgment of God in Himself on our behalf. There's no other uh, love that can be compared to the love of God. God showed, uh, God showed all His love. And while we were yet sinners, lawbreakers, rebellious against God, a God who could rightly, who could rightly, who, those folks who rightly deserve the judgment and the wrath of God became objects of His divine love comes down to what Jesus said in Matthew 9.13. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners under repentance. They came to Him and oh, He's a wine-bibber. Oh, He's a drunkard, a friend of sinners. Well, my friend, the Pharisees are right. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus laid down His life on the behalf of those uh, that were lost, that were doomed and damned under the judgment of God. And it's an unrivaled love. It's an unrestricted love. Oh, the sight of the love of God. Not only the sight of the love of God, but the substance of the love of God. Look at verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The substance of God's love is in the Son that was given. You see, Jesus is the very expression of the love of God. You men, listen up. Listen up. Saturday is, guess what? It's Valentine's Day. There ought to be some kind of, uh, because of societal pressures on us men, there ought to be some kind of, of, uh, of substance, some kind of manifestation of our love. Whether it be chocolates or roses or whatever the case may be and little shining things that goes on earrings and, and uh, neck uh, around their neck, whether it be that. Well, listen, the very expression of the love of God is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. That is the expression of God's love. God says, I love the sinful mankind. I love the world, and so I'm giving you my Son the best that heaven had to offer. You see, first of all, on this substance of God's love, we see the life of His Son for us. The life of His Son for us. You see, we stood guilty before God. Separated in a, in a line uh, to receive. We, uh, we stood in a line to receive the punishment, the just deserts for our sin. But the perfect life of Jesus was given for us upon the cross of Calvary. I like how one author wrote it. Dr. John Phillips, one of my favorite writers, he summed it up best. Listen to what Jesus did. Those iron bolts of Rome... In, which, in, in the pierced hands of the crucified Christ could well have become thunderbolts of wrath. He could have hurled his anathemas across a guilty world, summoned from the ramparts of heaven, twelve shining legions withdrawn and flaming swords, and marched to Armageddon then and there. Instead, yon lovely man cried, 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His life for me. He died for me. He took my place on Calvary's tree. Oh, that should have been my cross. That should have been my crown of thorns. That should have been my nails in, in my hands. Oh, but His life for mine. He stood in my place. He took the bullet of God's judgment for me. The life of His Son for us. But not only that, the life of His Son to us. Look at the latter part of verse 10. He said, For we, if we were enemies, were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We shall be saved by His life. You see, three days after Jesus was nailed to that cross, buried in that tomb, that Jesus ascended. He got up from the grave. He arose. This Jesus was a, a risen from the dead. And after being seen by a multitude of witnesses, He ascended to the heavens and is alive today. Just as you are sitting in this seat in a flesh and body with bones and marrow uh, running uh, that hold your body together, so somewhere in this universe, Jesus Christ, the very, uh, the very glorified body of the Lord Jesus resides in this universe. He is alive. He is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. And see, we are not only saved by His death, but by His continuing life. One author wrote this. He said, If God's love reached us before, when we were in our sins, how much more now, when we are virtual, vitally linked to His Son, uh, that we'll be made alive then? Our union with Christ as believers guarantees us a continuing salvation. You ought to take verse 10 and underline it four or five times, circle it. That means we are saved for eternity. If we are saved, if we have embraced the truth that God's Son Jesus died on that cross for our sins, we embrace that, then we become born again in the family of God and therefore even more so because He is alive today, I am eternally secure in Jesus' saving life. What that means is the only way that I can die, the only way that I can be cast into the lake of fire is if Jesus dies too. The only way I can lose my salvation, my home in glory, uh, my, uh, my mansion in, the, in, the, in the, the new Jerusalem, the only place I'll, the only way I'll lose that is if Jesus were to kill over death. And it says in Hebrews 7.25, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. You see, His life is the substance of, our, of, of God's love. His death is the substance of God's love. You see, God's love, we see the sight of God's love in the fact that He would come to us and die for us. We see the substance, the person in which God died for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now finally, we see the share of God's love. I'll never forget when we went to Chicago, preached at the uh, Garden, uh, no, the, uh, what is the mission up there? The, the Pacific Garden Mission. Thank you, Carrie. We went, went up there to the Pacific Garden Mission all the way into Chicago where Billy Sunday got saved. And I got to preach up there. 
And right after I preached on that Thursday night, they had a black preacher, a local preacher, and they come up and he began to preach the gospel right after I did. And he chose his text, Psalm 103. And he said, the text was, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. And he started to talk about it in that eloquent way that our black brethren can do. Started talking about all the benefits of coming to know Jesus. Huh? All of the benefits. He said, I got a lot of benefits when I came to Jesus. Well, in our verses here, we see some of those benefits manifested in verse number 11. What are these benefits? Well, the first benefit is this, a reason for rejoicing. Look at verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God our Lord Jesus Christ. There's joy in Jesus. You see, we rejoice in Him. We find joy in God. Those that have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they have received the love of God, embraced it for their own, discover a source of joy that will never go dry. Now, see, I don't use the word happy. I try to distinguish between the two. Happy comes from what happens to you. If you got plenty of money in the bank, if you happen to have plenty of money, which most folks don't these days, but if you happen to have a lot of money, then you happen to be happy. And if you, if things are going all right with your wife, happen to be okay with her, well, then you're happy. As soon as bad things come along and your hap changes, well, then your mood changes. But joy, joy is, is a constant source in our lives. We can have joy no matter what happens in this world, no matter what the falls through in the economy, no matter what our great-grandchildren are going to have to be paying so that we can live nice, cushy life. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a little bit p- uh, political. But, uh, but listen, we can have joy in Jesus no matter what. Now the sinner which has yet to receive God's love, he fears and hates God. He finds no pleasure in bowing to such a controlling and powerful being. Oh, listen, you read those books by Christopher Hitchens and those rank atheists of our day that blaspheme. I mean, it's almost like venom that is released on God. Why? They're rebellious. They have not been partakers of God's love. They find no joy in God. You see, but those whose eyes have been opened to the vision of Calvary, those that have visited the cross of Calvary where the blessed Son of God died on our behalf and the, 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 the commending of the love of God, when we see God commending His love, when we see God giving His love in His Son toward us, all oh, those, we, we, they rejoice in the wondrous plan of God's unimaginable love. You see, as children of God, we own an unwavering joy in the fact that our many sins and the demands of the judgments which should follow them have all been redeemed, have all been met at the foot of an old rugged cross. Oh, listen, it doesn't take long when I sit down and maybe recall my life 
and recall of the scenes of my life. It doesn't take long to run to places of depravity and sin that would shame me to no end if it were publicly known. It doesn't take long for me to run to places where the debauchery of my life would sink me to new depths of depression and shame. But it doesn't take long to run to those and run to Calvary and run to the cross and there God is satisfied. The debt's been paid in full. Oh, I long for the day when I pay off my house in Trenton and I have to pay that pay. I long for the day to see that uh, that to note to say stamp paid in full to be done away in all but in Christ Jesus. Paid in full are my sins past, present, and future Oh, what great love God has bestowed upon us. That's enough to make every one of us do happy circles. You know what happy circles are? I got a little chihuahua dog. And I love my chihuahua dog, Zoe. Little old bitty thing, half pint of a dog. And when I come home from work, she's so happy to see me that she runs around in circles. And she runs around, runs around all over the house. I tell you what, to know that my sins have been paid in full, that I'll never meet the condemnation of God, makes me want to do happy circles. Makes me want to have, have joy in my life. It's paid in full. No more worrying and no more guilt and no more shame. Paid in full. Jesus paid it all. Oh, listen, what love God has given us. And that love translates into joy in our lives. Joy no matter what's going on. Joy no matter what happens to my kids. Joy no matter how my family turns out. I can have joy that the fact that my sins have been paid for. That Jesus Christ loved me and gave Himself for me on that cross. Thank God for the reason to rejoice. Not only a reason to rejoice, but a reception of reconciliation. Notice verse 11. It goes on to say, And not only so, but we also joy in God our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Atonement. What does the word atonement mean? You know the word atonement can be, you can find the meaning of the word atonement by breaking the word up into its syllables. It is basically what it means is at one mint. Atonement. At one mint. It means the action by which two opposing parties are now in agreement. Atonement. Atonement. You see, through the love of God expressed in the crucifixion of His dear Son, we are now at atonement with God. March the 20th, 1994, as a 21-year-old rebellious college student, I bowed my head and received Jesus as my Savior. At that very moment, I had peace with God. Peace with God. No more antimosity between me and God. No more looking at God and say, why, why, why do you, uh, why are you so hard on me? Why is my conscience so heavy on me? Why are you trying to rule me? Why are you trying to break me? Now I have peace with God. At one, we've been made at one in agreement. You see, the very same word, uh, the Greek word there for atonement, translated atonement in verse 11, is the very same word that is used in verse 10. We, where it says we were reconciled. Reconciled. 
Ain't nothing more I hate than reconciling my checkbook. Oh, man. I, I, I hate it because we've always missed something. And there's always, <laughs> there, there's always less money in the bank than what I think there is. But until those books are straightened out, I won't ever know. I won't. But see, that's what reconciliation is. That means that God's books and my books are settled. You see, God's books on me was filled with fornication, was filled with the wickedness of my life, was filled with my blasphemy, was filled with my hatred towards God. That's what God had on His books. On my books, I, I had nothing. I had no money to pay. I had no means by which I could pay off the books. But on March the 20th, 1994, God put in my account the righteousness of Jesus. Now my books say paid in full and now they match God's books. God, through His dear Son, paid my sin debt. And now I owe nothing to the holiness and righteousness of God. Why? Because Jesus paid it on the cross in His, in His blood. We who know Jesus Christ as our Savior live at peace with God. I think Colossians 1.20 puts, puts it best where it tells us God has made peace by the blood of His cross. Ever wanted to be at peace with God? Is there an unrest stirring in your soul? You need to be made right with God. You need to have peace with God and settle the whole matter. Settle the antagonism between you and God. The place to do that is the cross of Calvary. The place to do that is where God's manifested, where, where God's love was manifested. You see, it's where God interrupts our helpless condition. It's where God interrupts our helpless, sinful condition is at an old, rugged cross. One author wrote this. He said, We can love our own and also the good and the gracious, but God loves the ungodly, the worst of sinners, the most bitter of blasphemers. Our part is to receive that love in His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. You see, it's not enough. Listen to me closely. It's not enough that God loves you to get you into heaven. Did you hear that? God loves you enough. A superabounding love that is unmatched in this world. He loves you enough to send this perfect, spotless Son to die on a cross for you. Okay? He loves you enough to shed His precious blood to remit the payment of your sin. But you must accept it. You must receive it as your own. You must lay claim to it. Take for example, you're in, a, uh, in the courtroom at the, at, the, at the courthouse. All the evidence is laid out. You're a murderer. You're a thief. You're a, bl- a, a, a liar, a cheat. All the evidence is laid out. The penalty is a million dollars. And none of us here, more than likely, if you do have a million dollars, you need to be given more. But anyway, none of us here hardly have a million dollars. But you don't have the money to pay for your debt. You can't buy your way out of this penalty. But God in Christ Jesus came in and with His own blood paid the million dollar penalty. He paid the penalty you couldn't pay. Now the choice is yours. Will you lay hold of it and say, Judge, that's mine. He paid for me. I will accept that. Listen, 
You can go to hell if you want to. If you're dead set on trying to pay for your sins on your own, God will give you what you want. And you'll stand on your own two feet in the day of judgment and have no covering for your sin. But you can lay hold to Calvary. Now, it's a hard thing to do. It's not easy. We don't like for anybody to pay for our way. We don't do it ourselves. It's a pride thing, isn't it? We don't want somebody to come in and pay our bills. If, uh, you know, we, don't, we don't want somebody to come in and pay our way. I, I've got enough pride in myself. I want to do the right thing. I want to go. I want to pay it myself. But when it comes to the eternal things of God, when it comes to our, our sin and our shame, you've got to let somebody else pay for it. It'll never get paid. You've got to receive what He's given, not what you can work up. It's a pride thing. You must humble yourself to receive Jesus as your Savior. That's what it all boils down to. Jesus has paid it all. God commendeth His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed His love. It's all made ready. It's all available, but you must receive it. You must receive it as your own. You must go to the judge and say, Judge, I know I'm guilty. I know I deserve the punishments that you have set forth in your law because I violated them. I know I'm a sinner. But this man Jesus came and He shed His life's blood on that cross and God, would you take Him as my substitute? Would you take Him in my place? Would you take what He did on the cross for me? I'll be eternally grateful to you. I'll be eternally grateful to the payment that He paid. Oh, listen, that's what happens in a real genuine believer's, a believer's life. Is that when they embrace that, they can never get away from it. They can never run from it. Because Jesus Christ genuinely paid for their sins. Now they are owned by God. They are His child, adopted into His family. What love the Father has bestowed upon us that He might call us the sons of God. What great love that Jesus has for us. He died in your place. He took your penalty. Now you must receive it. That's all that's left. He's done everything that He possibly could do. He's not going to twist your wrist and make you come to Jesus. He's not going to hold a sword to your neck like Allah does. Allah, oh, Allah says, if you don't come, I'll cut your head off. No, Jesus said, come unto me. Oh, you're laboring heavy laden. I'll give you rest. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Come unto Jesus. Suffer the children to come unto me and forbid them not. You can come to Jesus. Or you can withstand it. You can stand outside and say, no, I'll pay it on my own. And God will give you what you want. And you'll spend all of eternity trying to pay for the great sin debt that you owe to God. Let's all stand. <coughs> As we come with a song of invitation, song of invitation, an opportunity for you to come and respond to God's great love. You know, one of the things that will happen on Saturday on Valentine's Day is the husband will come in with some sort of, of substance to show his love, and she will receive that. And if she's any kind of woman, amen, she'll throw her arms around him and kiss him and embrace him. Oh, listen, God in his love gave you the most wonderful love gift. He gave you his son. Now you must come and embrace it. You must respond to it. You can run from it. You can. You can be honest and run away from it. 
But if you'll see what it's worth, if you'll see Jesus Christ crucified before your eyes for your sins, you'll come and embrace it. You can do that today. As we sing a song of invitation 342, page 342, just as I am, doesn't matter what condition you are. He said, for the ungodly, Christ died. For anybody. Paul included himself in that lot. The religious, hey, religion won't get you to heaven. I don't care how many Baptist church you got your name on their roll. I don't care how many times you've been dunked in a booth. I don't care how many cards you filled out and said that, you're, uh, that you know Him and you trust in Him. Listen, I don't, cards are not going to get you to heaven. A baptismal pool will not get you to heaven. It is embracing what Jesus did for you. You come to Him today. As we sing this song, Just As I Am, you like to come at this altar, I'll take my Bible and do the best I can to show you how you can be saved today. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.